0: News flash if, if you have not yet picked up on it, it is Mother's Day. I live a very just in time life, and if you're like me, it's possible that you've let things get down to the wire, in which case, I would urge you strongly leave as soon as we're done here and go take care of mom. Uh, I am, however, very grateful that the moms ordered up some sunshine so that we can spend the afternoon of Mother's Day celebrating with makeup games for youth sports. That is not a joke. That is what we're doing. Uh, So lots of sports this afternoon. It's a great example of really the essence of Mother's Day, right, which is putting the needs of our children above our own personal priorities, right? So what could be more Mother's Day-ish than afternoon at the baseball field of dreams? However, there are times in life when the situation demands that parents prioritize something else first, right, more than just the the well-being, or the, the, the satisfaction and happiness of our kids. And sometimes that can seem harsh or uncaring or selfish. It goes against our very instincts. There's a number of cases, and I we actually saw one in the video. But uh, the one I think of the most is is the instructions we all get when we get on board an airplane. All right, if you're a mom and dad, every time you fly, what do they tell you to do? In the event of an emergency, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that goes against everything we want to do. We want to put it on our kids first because we spend our our whole life protecting and defending them. That's our our priority typically. But there is a good scientific reason for why we need to put the mask on ourselves first, why we have to prioritize ourselves first in this crisis. And it's a simple fact that if you have rapid decompression at 35,000 feet, then your time of useful consciousness, the time you can actually do something intelligent with that stuff that's dangling up there, is about 15 to 30 seconds. You're going to spend the first 15 seconds being surprised at whatever it is that caused the dangly things to appear. So as a parent, you have 0 to 15 seconds to get the mask on yourself so that you can then take care of your kids. right? And So so as parents, we have to make some hard prioritizations sometimes. When... When there is a life and death situation, the priorities matter and mom and dad have to prioritize themselves first so they can ultimately care for the children. As harsh as that may sound on first glance, the truth is that laser-like focus on the most important priorities is the key to surviving a mid-air crisis. Now, what does that have to do with the church? Well, today's adventure for the New Testament church takes a look at a time when the church experiences some turbulence. They have a little bit of a loss of cabin pressure here. They experience a crisis. And it is by relentlessly focusing on the right priorities that they not only survive the crisis, but there's a happy ending for the kingdom of God. Our passage today is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So, please... Got it up on the screen. You can also follow along in your own Bible. And Luke writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and that is really just a fancy word, it means the Jewish Christians who were not from Palestine, they were Greek-speaking predominantly, arose against the Hebrews, meaning the Jewish Christians who were originally from Palestine and were primarily Aramaic-speaking, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. I actually pulled off that list of names in two services. I'm really proud of myself for that. (laughs) These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Today's passage follows immediately after the passage we discussed last week, where we saw the apostles continuing to teach and gospel from house to house and in the temple, despite having literally taken a beating for their preaching. The Jerusalem church is now a rapidly growing multi-ethnic church. That's how we would label it, by the way, in the 21st century if we wanted to market our church, right? We are a rapidly growing multi-ethnic church, very dynamic preaching. However, like many such organizations, they've run into a logistical problem. And because this problem threatened the unity of the fellowship, the apostles called a town hall meeting. Some things have not changed in 2,000 years. And that brings us to the key lessons I want to take away from this story today namely, the importance of clear priorities, the importance of deacons, and ultimately, the mission impact of having the right priorities and the right people doing the right jobs. We will begin at the beginning with the importance of clear priorities. Because what struck me in this passage is there's not a lot of intro. The apostles just right off express very clear priorities for themselves and the church. They say, this is how it's going to be. And it turns out to be a huge blessing, even though it kind of reads a little rough at the beginning. I mean, if you really spend time thinking about what the apostles said right off the bat in verse 2, it's, it's kind of a little rough. Right? I'm not sure that would go over that well in our church. At the heart of the complaint is a problem with the way the church cared for one another. So this is a big deal because this is critically important. It was at the heart of the Acts two forty church was the 2.42 church was how they cared for each other. This was the thing that Jesus said was to distinguish Christians, right? John 13.35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And unfortunately, some of that love was breaking down. Because the leadership team of the church was largely Palestinian-born Jewish Christians. And they were overlooking. That, that word neglecting that was in the translation here, it's, the word is literally a word that means overlooking. They were accidentally overlooking some of the foreign-born widows as they were going about the business of daily providing food to those who could not provide for themselves. Because if you were an older widow in that culture, there was no real way to work. You didn't really have marriage prospects. And if you did not have family taking care of you, you were going to starve. And so into that void, the church stepped in. But they were missing some of the widows. So the apostles clearly realized how incredibly important this was. And so they held a meeting. They apologized profusely, and they said they would redouble their efforts going forward, right? Right? Well, that actually is not what they said. That would probably be what 21st century public relations and crisis management would tell us to do, but that is not what they did. Verse 2 says that the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "...it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables." And in verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, I don't know about you, but in my daily life, I have a strong tendency to succumb to the tyranny of the urgent, right? To deal with whatever is most on fire at that moment, regardless of whether it is the most important thing to be doing. The apostles are not like that, and we can learn a lot from them, both in how we run a church and in how we live our daily lives. Because as important as they knew the fellowship to be, and believe me, they are not underselling the fellowship, but they knew that they had personally been given higher priorities by God, namely the prayer and the preaching and the teaching. When they say it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God, that word that is translated as right is a word that usually implies pleasing to God. So what they're saying is, It is not pleasing to God for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the interesting thing is every one of these priorities we're talking about are are pillars. They're foundational to the Acts 2.42 church. So prayer is foundational. Teaching is foundational. Preaching is foundational and care. Love for one another is foundational. But the difference is that some of these things were things that only the apostles could do. So while I'm sure their compassion would drive them to want to be out there serving bread to these poor widows, they did honestly recognize that this was something that other mature, responsible believers could be trusted with. But they were the only ones who could talk about spending three years with Jesus of Nazareth. They were the ones who had encountered the risen Jesus. They were the ones who had been given the mission to teach and preach to the ends of the earth. And so they were very much at a fork in the road for their ministry. There were two paths open to them at this time. Right? They could, on the one hand, do something that they were clearly very capable of, that was clearly important, that was clearly very much in the spirit of a loving God, who seeks to provide for all of his children. And that was to hand out the bread, the daily distribution of food. And yet for them, it would have been the wrong path. Because it would have been a distraction from them. A prevention of the thing that they were supposed to be doing. The things that they were uniquely called and gifted to do. And so they refused to fix the problem themselves. And that seems pretty hard. Right? It goes against our instincts as Christians. It goes against pastoral instincts to say, no, I'm not going to fix that problem. Because here they are, the apostles, they are serving as the pastors of this church, and the church is having a problem. And the pastors say, in essence, we're not going to solve it because we have higher priorities. But they knew it was critical to the mission of the church. They knew it was essential to the vision of the church. And so they did something that was far better than just waiting on the tables themselves. You see, they equipped the congregation to solve the problem and then empowered them to carry forward. And this is a critical moment in the development of the early church. And it is a critical moment really in every church's life when they are presented with junctures like this to say, what is the path that God is calling us to do the apostles clearly took the problem seriously. They did, in fact, call a town hall, but there they clearly explained their priorities right, their priorities as individual apostles, as well as we can clearly see they are affirming the priorities of the church. And they're different that's an interesting thing, right? The apostles have a different set of priorities than the church, it's complementary to the vision of God. And so they told the congregation, raise up seven men to serve these Greek-speaking widows. And they set out the criteria to choose them. And they were very high standards. They didn't just say, find some guys who can hand out bread. And you kind of think about it, handing out food, I mean, why do you have to say they have to be good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom? These are high standards that these men are held to. Well, it's because they're being asked to distribute the resources of the church. Right, this is not a wealthy church. There was money. There was enough to provide, but it had to be stewarded carefully. So there was a potential for problem there. There was also, this is clearly a sensitive subject. It's a critical ministry. There was a lot of potential for conflict. There already was conflict because this ministry was failing. And so after setting out the standards, they empowered the congregation to solve the problem by selecting the people and bringing them forward under apostolic supervision. And I think the congregation responded beautifully to this. They raised up seven lay leaders to care for these Greek-speaking widows. And all of them have Greek names. And so that's interesting, because it means that there was a meaningful effort by this congregation that was probably mostly Palestinian-based. But they're making a meaningful effort to reach across ethnic boundaries to diffuse this tension that was threatening the very unity that Jesus had prayed for back in John 17. And so then these men were presented to the apostles who prayed over them and ordained them to ministry by laying hands on them. And the rest is history. Because the church, which had been growing very rapidly at this point, takes off on rocket fuel. Right? They multiplied. And I think that we see from this passage a lot of possible, very helpful lessons to us as a 21st century church, and and some of them relate to the roles of pastors and the congregation. Some are about problem solving, and some are about leadership. But it's Mother's Day, and people have lunch reservations, so we're not going to talk about all of those. The one that strikes me the most as we stand on the brink of a church-wide visioning process that seeks to determine God's vision and priorities for Lakeridge Baptist Church, the piece that strikes me the most is the extreme clarity of priorities in the early church. The entire church knew what they were supposed to be doing. The apostles knew specifically what they were supposed to be doing. And because everyone knew and understood, nobody complained when the apostles stood up and said, This ministry can't be our priority. I mean, can you imagine you've got a mega church going on, you've got thousands of members, we know that from the book of Acts, and you stand up and say, this thing that's really important to all of you that people's lives depend on, it's not our focus. Church should be doing it, but we're not going to do it. And no one complains. I think that's the power of clear priorities. And so the question I ask is, are our priorities this clear? Are we this clear as a church about what we are supposed to be doing? And for each person here, are you clear on what you are supposed to be doing, what God has called you to do? Are we clearly focused on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, on the prayer and the care for the members of our church, on worship and fellowship, Because those are the priorities of the Acts 242 church, and they were all for the glory of God. So what are our priorities? Can we articulate as clearly as this what it is that the pastors are uniquely trained and called to do, what our lay leaders are equipped and called to do, and what each and every person in this room is called by God to do? You see, when I see these power of great, good, clear priorities, I find it very encouraging because just in this past week, the team that will be facilitating our vision process has has been meeting to prepare and get equipped and trained to conduct the congregational conversations that are really at the heart of this process. And I would ask that you bear with this process. It's going to take a little while before it bears visible fruit, Because we're all doing a new thing here, a new way of seeking God's priorities for the church, one that is scripturally based, one that we can all embrace so that at the end we have those crystal clear priorities that are being talked about. But because it's a new thing, it's going to take a while. There's a lot of reading to do. There's a lot of training to do. There's a lot of praying to do. There's a lot of planning to do before we get to the exciting part the congregational part, where we're all coming together to talk about our past and our present and our future and our strengths and the way God has gifted and equipped us to minister to the community that is right here around us. To make this a positive process where where everyone comes together to really capture God's dreams for Lake Ridge Baptist Church. And from that will come the clarity of Priority that we see in this Acts church. Now, as important as it was for the early church to have clear and correct priorities, it was also critical that they have the right people. Right? This was not just a random group of people to solve the problem. The explosive growth of the New Testament church is in many ways, I think, a witness to the importance of deacons. Now, scholars will debate whether these seven men were the first official deacons. But to me, it's kind of irrelevant what they're called. The point is that they were lay leaders ordained to serve the church by caring for the congregation. They had selection criteria that were very similar to the criteria for deacons in 1 Timothy 3. The one clear difference, I would say, from my perspective is that these seven are specifically said they have to be men, right? whereas I believe that both the example of the New Testament church in Romans 16.1 and the instruction of the New Testament church in 1 Timothy 3 acknowledges an appropriate place for women deacons. And, of course, I will acknowledge that good Christians have disagreed on this. You're not a heretic one way or the other. But regardless of what they are called, we see the tremendous value of those in the congregation who commit themselves to the care of the body of Christ and just serving the needs of the local church. By freeing up the leaders of the church to focus on prayer and preaching and teaching, not only did the fellowship grow stronger and more nurturing, but the number of disciples multiplied, multiplied. I love that word. We're going to talk about it a little bit more, but I love that word, multiplied. And it's against this backdrop that I note that we are at a key juncture in our process of rebuilding the foundations of Lake Ridge Baptist Church. We are going through the deacon selection process. A little over a week ago, letters went out to those who've been nominated to serve. And if you received a letter, I would urge you to take it very seriously, to prayerfully consider this critical ministry. And I would ask that you don't just immediately say no because you don't feel qualified. From my perspective, that is usually the best place for a new deacon to start is the sense that they are unqualified yet called by God. That's we can work with that. The Lord certainly knows I think most of us who are honest as deacons, who have served as deacons in the past, we felt the same way the first time we were called. Likewise, I would say, don't immediately say yes, just because you are qualified. Rather, pray carefully over this nomination. Is God calling you to this ministry? If you've never done it before, is he calling you to something that is unexpected and challenging? If you do not have a clear sense of God's leading, then as I always encourage prospective deacons, seek out other members of the church and talk to them. Preferably if they have served as a deacon, that's really the ideal case, but As is often true, the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit often works through other Christians when we're having a lack of clarity on our own. Now, if you snapped off a hasty no, but God is still tugging at your heart to change to a yes, we'll let you rescind that no. So just reach out to the appropriate people and and make the change. If you did not receive a nomination, then I would urge you to be in prayer for, for all those who did. I mean, this is a... A church-wide process. Far more need to be praying for that handful that were nominated. Because this is a serious commitment. It's a three-year commitment. And many who start this race do not finish. So pray for all the nominees to take the nomination seriously and that God would speak to them very clearly about his calling. And I would ask everyone to keep your eyes open over the course of the next 12 months for people who who may be candidates next year. Our deacons are truly servants of the church, and they have a vital role to play in in welcoming guests, in visiting with them after they have come by for the first time, in administering the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and in practical service around the church. They are crucial to really bringing people into our fellowship and keeping the ministry running smoothly. We, we often don't know what they do that much, right? They're not always that visible, but it doesn't mean they're not working. Our deacon body is rebuilding because of some of the challenges we've experienced as a church over the last few years. But I think that makes this a great opportunity. And so I would challenge the incoming group of deacons to take this time to really see how they fit into God's vision for LRBC and how they can properly set priorities and conduct ministries that better align our church with the Acts 242 essentials. And so I pray that our deacons would think deeply on new and revitalized ways that they can serve and care for the church and to enable the pastoral team to focus on the things for which they are uniquely trained and equipped and gifted to build up the congregation so that we as a whole team build up the church, the body of Christ. As we see in the conclusion of this passage, if we can get these things right, there is tremendous mission impact from having the right priorities and the right people doing the right jobs. You'll recall from a few weeks ago that the first century church had been given a mission directly to by the risen Jesus Christ. And what is that mission? Make disciples of all nations. Thank you. We explored that in Matthew 28 a bit, and we saw that their mission still stands. Their mission is our mission. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And we have the distinct advantage that an awful lot of those nations have moved into northern Virginia. The passage here today reveals how the decision of the apostles to focus on their clear priorities while equipping and empowering the congregation to raise up a godly group of deacons to provide appropriate care had immediate and powerful mission impact. So how exactly did this play out for the early church? But the apostles were freed up to do what they needed to do, right? To pray and teach and preach the word of God. And verse 7 says, the word of God continued to increase. So resolving this conflict by raising up deacons who would be responsible for pastoral care allowed the word to grow and spread. So that's excellent mission value. At the same time, the church was able to do what it was supposed to do in terms of care and loving. By raising up mature spiritual lay leaders that, that do the caring and the serving, the, the overall level of pastoral care grew. And it's important to understand that the term pastoral care does not necessarily mean it has to be done by a pastor. Right, it's, The emphasis is on the care, on the shepherding. It is something that godly men and women can be trained to do. And it allowed the overall growth of the church. Because we see that the fellowship dimension of Acts 2.42 is stronger because there's more love. And verse 7 says, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. They became a powerful testimony. You have powerful teaching, powerful preaching, powerful prayer. And now anyone who looks on sees powerful love. It was more than a handful of apostles could do. But it was not more than a church could do. And that word multiplied is very significant to me because I believe that the world has a math problem. I'm a mathematically oriented person. And I see that there's a world with about seven billion people in it. And of those, about two billion are some form of Christian. And we can we can certainly dissect and parse out what that means, but we're not going to this morning. Again, I know Many of you have lunch reservations. But we'll just take it at super surface level. So we have, on the one hand, good news. There's two billion Christians. That is a larger number than ever before. In fact, more people came to Christ in the past century than in the 19th centuries prior combined. The church is growing. It is expanding. But on the other hand, there is a five billion person gap, and... If we grew every church 5 to 10 percent, which would probably be a banner year for the average Western church, you're not closing the gap, right? That doesn't get you from 2 billion to 7 billion. So the only way to reach 5 billion people when you've only got 2 billion to start with is not addition. It is multiplication, right? We have to be multiplying churches and multiplying believers, and in today's passage, we see that glorious multiplication, because the apostles were proclaiming and praying, and the church was loving and caring. And it all brings it back to that vision we talked about a few weeks ago of learning together and loving together and living life together and praying and worshiping together that was the foundation of the church in Acts 2.42-47. to 47. So the mission is being accomplished. They are making disciples of all nations. They're getting huge numbers of disciples. They're even getting the priests, right? The Levitical priests. The people who are the gatekeepers and the bastions of the Old Covenant are seeing their love and seeing the power of the word preached. And they're coming to faith. Coming to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this example should be very encouraging to us in terms of mission impact because their mission is our mission. And like them, we have the great good news of the gospel, right? We know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, as he's so well demonstrated through his many miracles and teachings, the, the miracles that we spent so many months discussing over the course of this winter, right? He taught, and he lived, and he suffered, and he died, and he rose again in Israel nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet what matters for us more than anything else is that he was condemned to die on a cross he didn't deserve. But he did it for the glory of God and because of his infinite love for us. And even though we do not deserve that love, we are not worthy of that love. We could never earn that love. He made that sacrifice so that we can have eternal life through faith in him. That's something that everyone on earth needs to hear. That's why Jesus told us to go tell everyone on earth. It is our duty and our love to share it with them. As we see in the example here in Acts chapter 6, getting our priorities right as a church and as individual believers matters. Because we have this life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that is spiritually different dead. So getting our priorities right as Lake Ridge Baptist Church, it's going to compel us, I think, to become salt and light in the communities that surround us. And getting the right people up and ministering in the right ways matters because it's going to be that which enables us to effectively do all the things that a 21st century New Testament church is called to do. To demonstrate the truth and the love of Jesus Christ to all who see us. And it is a massive mission. It is an overwhelming mission if we had to do it on our own. But we don't. Christ is on this mission with us. Every day. To the end of the age. And that, I think is the great good news, right? That if we clarify our God-given priorities, if we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing, and we are familiar with the power that enables us to do it, and we get the right people up doing the right things, and we're able to focus on preaching the good news and equipping the congregation to do all the great things that God has in store for us as a church, we can further this mission. We can be a part of God's mission. Please pray with me. Father God, we praise you for the lessons we can draw from the early church and what they show us about the power and effectiveness of a church that gets it right, that understands what you want each and every person in the body to do. Lord, help us to be that church. Help us to have clear priorities both as a group and as individuals, and help us to choose to live out those priorities each and every day for your glory.